Well, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to Worship at Fellowship Church as we uh, start our worship service this morning. (laughs) Let us join our hearts and voices together in a a call to worship. You will notice that the refrain that you'll find on the screen is, uh, will become familiar here shortly. If you've come to worship with laughter and songs of joy, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. If you're here from a sense of obligation or habit or with distraction or exhaustion, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. If your heart is heavy with grief or feeling stress, loneliness, or depression, may may the the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. If you're here with eagerness and enthusiasm, ready for God to speak to your heart, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. No matter what joy, pain, hurt, or hope you are experiencing today, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Let's stand and sing to that triune God.
gathering us this morning, for gathering us from various homes, and for gathering us in our homes um, as we worship together, even when we can't all be in the same space. 
We thank you that your spirit unites us. We thank you that you receive our worship through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that our hearts would be totally focused on you this morning, that you would receive all of our praise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Since last November and December, which is actually the beginning of the church calendar year, the first Sunday of Advent is the first part of the church calendar year, we have journeyed that full arc um, of the church calendar through Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, and finally we came to Pentecost Sunday just this last week. This journey has been centered around a story, the story of Jesus' birth, Jesus' death, Uh, sorry, his life first, and then his death, his resurrection, and sending of his spirit upon the church. Each season has been centered around a narrative piece of that story. But the church calendar today brings us to a day that is centered around a belief and not a narrative piece of the story. This belief, this truth, has been present throughout the entire story from the beginning of time. It is the belief that we worship one God in three persons. About 300 years after the Spirit was poured out on the church at Pentecost, Christians gathered together to articulate this belief, to put words to this core aspect of our faith. And what they came up with is called the Nicene Creed. So it seems fitting this morning on Trinity Sunday to recite those ancient words um, of our forefathers and foremothers uh, of the Nicene Creed together. And so we have it on the screens for us because probably most of us don't have it memorized, but we can recite it together this morning. Would you join me? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under the Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to his virtues. He ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in the glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Have you affirmed these words? Hey, hey, yes. I, okay. I realize it's like terrible timing, but um, those words didn't really clarify much for me about Trinity. You're Wondering still com- if yeah. maybe, maybe we can talk maybe about Maybe we should it? have a conversation. Just I think for that, a minute? Now, now, you've been to seminary, Kate, right? So, like, yep. they taught you some things there. Some I, things. I think. <laughs> um, yep. And, and 
Aaron, you've been, I know, you've been to seminary too, sorry, but do you mind joining us with, and I, Pastor Lindsay, would, you've been to seminary, I know you've been to seminary. <laughs> yeah? I think you have. Would you join us for a conversation? I think we need to, I think we need to talk about this. Cannot go on in worship without really understanding what this is. So I think we're going to understand. Oh, I should probably disconnect myself first, though. <laughs> that would be a good idea. So, Kate, you brought this up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> good call. Help me out. Yeah. <laughs> Explain the Trinity. I mean, to first, me. <laughs> I guess we should dispel the myth that I'm going to have all the answers. I'd love to say that the Rev before our names tells us everything, but it doesn't. But but here's what I can say. So this morning we've heard lots of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's one way we talk about the Trinity. And I like it in some senses because it tells us about three distinct persons. It tells us about um, relationship with one another. But then it, it sets us up to think that somehow the Trinity is a hierarchy. It lends us to think that God is limited to gender and God is beyond all of that. So... It's not my first choice. And then I heard, I've heard creator, redeemer, sustainer. I like that one. It tells us some different functions that we see in the people of the Trinity. But again, that implies that they aren't all present in each of those functions. The Holy Spirit and Jesus were present at creation. It goes all the way down the line. So really, in the end, I've got nothing. Sorry. Well, Kate, maybe I can help, help you out. Whoa. Let's try that. Yeah. I know there's a, a lot of analogies we could use to help us understand the Trinity. And even though we do have these analogies, I can't think of one analogy that would just really help us fully grasp the concept of the Trinity. It seems like all analogies fall apart at some point or another. Just take, for example, the analogy of an egg. It's a commonly used analogy to help us understand the Trinity. And it, it just so happens that I have an egg right here in my pocket this morning. That is amazing. <laughs> okay, that yeah. is time out, time out, Aaron. Why do you have an egg in your pocket? Well, Jess, you have the band come at 7.30 in the morning. When else am I going to eat breakfast, you know? <laughs> when we look at an egg, we know that an egg has three parts, right? It has the eggshell, it has the egg white, and it has the yolk. And all of those three parts make up one egg. So there's three in one, right? Just like the Trinity. But if I were to say that this egg is the perfect analogy of the Trinity, well, I, I would have egg on my face. <laughs> because when we take a closer look at that analogy, we'll find that it's a little bit cracked. <laughs> For example, Jess... Let's say that you saw that I had this egg and you were hungry because you've been worshiping all morning. <laughs> and you told me, you said, Aaron, I want that egg for breakfast. So you sent me back to the kitchen and I went back and I tried to make the best egg possible. But when I brought it to you, it was just a plate of eggshells. You wouldn't be too happy, would you? No. No, you'd probably kick me out of the band. <laughs> well, a plate of eggshells might be the perfect analogy for my terrible cooking skills. But an egg is not the perfect analogy for the Trinity because, you see, as we said, the egg shell is not the egg, and the egg white is not the egg, and the egg yolk is not the egg. These are just three parts that make up the egg. And yet in the Trinity, the Father is fully God, and the Son is also fully God, and the Holy Spirit is also fully God. So that is where this egg analogy tends to fall apart. And every analogy that we can think of might help us to understand some aspect of the Trinity.
but there is not one analogy that helps us fully comprehend the depth and the mystery of the Trinity. Well, okay, so I've been thinking a lot about the world of art and music, and I wonder if maybe not trying to break it down into analogy, but like experiencing something in art and music might help us get a little bit closer. So as you're talking about the egg, I'm thinking about like a chord in music that's three notes making one chord, but we've already discussed how that might not be even a good analogy. But I wonder if we hear a chord, we hear the harmony and the interplay, the way that each note can be heard distinctly at the same time as all the other notes, kind of in our oral space, in our hearing space, right? If we, if we can hear each distinct note and they're resonating and enhancing uh, one another. Um, Marcia, would you mind playing a chord broken up with the three notes and then together? I wonder if in just experiencing that, we get a little bit of a glimpse of what it is that the Trinity is and and the relationship in that. Another analogy from the the world of art and music would be dance. And uh, many of the early church fathers used this analogy, uh, kind of speaking of a divine dance between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that there is a space that they each hold for each other in this dance. They move in and through one another. They maintain their individuality, but they're mutually indwelling one another. And it's kind of maybe a little bit like that picture. Um, and, and in watching a dance, maybe, maybe we can see a little bit of what the Trinity means. Pastor Lindsay, what do you, what do you think? Um, well, there's just a whole lot right here. <laughs> and I think what's important is to recognize that not any one of these analogies or descriptions or definitions is going to get us to the fullest extent that we can of the Trinity. Sally McFaig talks about this in her book, Models of God, where she talks about the importance of piling one metaphor for God on top of the other, because one isn't going to be perfect. So the more that we have, the fuller of an understanding we have. But perhaps that's important to recognize that we'll have a fuller understanding, but not a fullest understanding. We will never fully understand God. God is simply too big to be understood or defined or clearly articulated in a metaphor. So to understand God is to just simply get close to that. But maybe we're missing the point. Maybe on this Trinity Sunday, it's a reminder that as the Trinity is in relationship with one another, that we are drawn and called to be in relationship with God as well, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we are called to be communal and relational with one another as we are called to be in relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So is it sort of like being invited into the Trinitarian dance? Um, yes, but in a less awkward Dutch dancing would you sort of way. Model that yeah, for no, us? I will no, not. No. That, Aaron, though, you could do, do a mean floss, floss, though, right? Yeah, the floss, floss, yeah, the floss will be, yeah, maybe, maybe not. not. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe it's time for us to sing the song. Is, is, is that all right, Kate? Do you yeah. have any more interruptions? Embrace the mystery. Right? We're going to embrace, embrace the, mystery, the mystery, and we're going to be invited into the Trinity. So let's sing together. This next song is a bit of a round, so I will warn you ahead of time. Uh, that we're going to be singing some different things from each other on stage. And I invite you, maybe in in this analogy of not trying to figure it all out, just join in where you feel comfortable (laughs) with harmony. You are free to dance as well. Son and 
Well, Fellowship Church, the Lord be with you. It is good to be gathered together this morning in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is good to be together today. I would like to talk quickly about the next two Sundays, actually, looking out ahead just a little bit. Next Sunday is Graduation Sunday, so if you or someone you know and love is, uh, has graduated or is about to graduate, uh, make sure to come next Sunday. We will honor you. Like, for example, Ross just graduated from driver's training, so yes, <laughs> we're going to celebrate him next week. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, but that'll be next Sunday, and then after our second service next Sunday, we will be celebrating the sacrament of baptism out at Tunnel Park uh, with a wonderful young person here in our midst, Anna Basma. She will be baptized, and all of you are welcome to join as a fellowship of believers as she makes this important step in her faith. So that'll be at Tunnel Park. Um, I'm hoping, if you don't mind praying, that the water temperature jumps about 20 degrees uh, this week. That would, be, that would be great. So anyway, hope you can join us out at Tunnel Park after the service next Sunday. And then on the 13th of June, I don't really like to talk about it that much, but I do like to say that on the 13th of June, uh, we had so much fun doing outdoor services last summer that we're going to go outside again on the 13th, and we're actually going to be out this way, uh, but bring a lawn chair, and we're going to have a... Oh. And that's not all, folks, oh. because on June 13th, we're not just going to worship outside. We're going to have a party outside to celebrate uh, the ministry of a Lindsay Small in our midst. So uh, come on June 13th. I, I know that you really want to announce your own party, no, but following I do. No, the service uh, on June 13th, we will stay outside, and we will uh, gather together to give God thanks uh, for for Lindsay's uh, ministry among us. So Let's come and join us for that as well. That, can we say that on the 13th, we're going to worship God and we're going to celebrate the fellowship we have with each other. Can we say that? Well, that could that be part good? of it too. That could be okay. part of it too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. We're, we're, it's going to be fun though, right? Because I, I need it to be like this. Yeah. Otherwise yes. I'm going to go, Ooh. Anyway. <laughs> there so, might be some of that yeah. too. Come on on the 13th, please. We'd love to, we'd love to have you there. It'll, uh, I'm hoping it'll be a joy-filled day so that I'm not a puddle on the floor. Uh, friends, we also want to take time to acknowledge uh, Memorial Day weekend and Memorial Day in particular tomorrow and those who have lost their lives in service uh, to our country. So if you would just join me in a moment of silent prayer uh, for them right now. God, we are grateful for those who gave their lives in service to our country. We thank you for each and every one of them who you know by name. God, we thank you for their family members as well and for the legacy that they carry, um, that they carry forth. We also take a moment now, God, to recognize those in our midst who have passed, who have gone on before us. Uh, we think of them now at this moment. God, we thank you that you hold us all in the palm of your hand. A metaphor that we can never fully grasp, but we, at this moment we rest in the knowledge that you are bigger and greater and grace-filled, and we rest in that. Thank you for holding each and every one of us on this day. In Jesus' name, amen.
And as we continue in our worship together, we tip towards the point in our service where we hear God's words spoken and preached. So I think it's appropriate that we take on a posture of dependence upon the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. So would you join us in singing, Lord, I need you. Well, good morning, church. The Lord be with you. 
after a morning full of interruptions already, good interruptions, but interruptions nonetheless, I want to invite you to pause for a moment, take a deep breath, and look around. Notice where you are and who's near you. Notice yourself. Are your shoulders tense? Is your heart at ease? If God were here, would you know it? trying to bring you relatively quickly to the place that God has brought me into this week, a deep awareness of people and place, a true aliveness in the here and now, a kind of awakening to this time and this place as God made and God blessed. So hold that for just a minute. You may have noticed on your way in, on the front of your bulletins, we're beginning today a new sermon series based on the New Testament letters. Believe it or not, there's 21 of them in the New Testament, meaning that 21 of the 27 books in the New Testament are letters. It's interesting to pause and think about because letters are all about people and places, aren't they? They're, letters are timely messages about local matters sent to people who matter to us. And so we do this regularly. We send birthday cards and encouragement notes. Some write open letters to institutions. Notes are passed between lovers. Newspapers have letters to the editor. We even now have digital letters called emails. So just for fun, I looked up a few of history's most famous examples this week. These are great. Here's one of them. In the year 1860, an 11-year-old girl named Grace Bedell wrote a letter to a presidential candidate telling him that his face was so thin that it would benefit from a beard and that all the ladies liked the whiskers. So Abe Lincoln grew a beard. And he won the presidency, and he visited this little grace on his way to the inauguration. Pretty cool. In the year 1920, a rather typical mother wrote a rather typical note to her son saying, Don't forget to be a good boy. Only her son was Harry Thomas Byrne, a member of the House of Representatives. And that day, because of his mom's letter... Mr. Byrne cast a surprising and a deciding vote that finally gave women the right to vote. In the year 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a letter from Birmingham jail. And in that letter, he famously said that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. The letter was written to fellow clergymen. The impact was not small. And yet, towering over all of these famous examples from history are the letters of the New Testament, really unmatched in their global impact. And so in our mini-series for the next three weeks, we're going to lean into those letters, but do it in a rather unexpected way. We are not going to lean into the body content of the letters, which we typically do. That gets all the attention. We're going to look instead at the beginnings and the ends. And so today, I want to share with you the greetings of these letters. 
Next week, the three of us pastors, watch out, will focus on the salutations or the endings. And then on the final week, June 13, Pastor Lindsay will lead the PS or the postscript, which is where you really get to say whatever you want, right? That's what happens in a PS. For now, I want to invite you back into that deep awareness of people and of place and invite you to hear a few greetings, three of the 21 from the New Testament letters. So here it is from Corinthians, where the greeting says this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Another letter, the one to the Colossians, says it this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And then this last one from 1 Peter, which is Trinitarian, by the way. Please do notice, this is Trinitarian. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A couple summers ago, we took a family vacation with the extended family, and we went to Colorado for a young life camp. It was the kind of vacation that had a theme, and so we printed up t-shirts for it. Here's a photo of the family and the t-shirt. The phrase, the tagline on the t-shirt was this, wherever you are, there you be. The point is, be where you are. Embrace a local presence and a togetherness. It's a kind of earthiness and an embodiment. And that, friends, is what strikes me the most, especially lately, about these ancient New Testament letters. The letters are neither abstract nor anonymous. They are instead all about people and place. And the invitation of each letter is to live the God story locally. So wherever you are, there you be. Notice first the places. Each of the letters is written to a place. In fact, in most instances, that's the title of the letter as we have it in our Bible. And so Romans is a letter to Rome and Ephesians is a letter to Ephesus. It's oh so obvious and yet so easy to overlook at the same time. The letters, friends, are local. They are written by real people to real people in real places. The application, I think, for us is this. We cannot live Christianly anywhere other than where we are. Which is to say that I will either live the faith in my family in my neighborhood, in my workplace, and the same is true for you, or not at all. 
Sorry to break the bad news to those of you who are multitaskers and double-booked regularly, but as humans, we can only be in one place at a time. And so even if the faith that we share is universal, we live it locally or not at all. And that's what the letters are basically about. And so 1 Corinthians is a letter written to the Christians at Corinth, a real place. So we have this slide here to show you. We know some things about Corinth. Just to highlight a couple details, Corinth was a seaport city situated between two harbors. It was kind of like an ancient Sioux Canal. So the sailors, rather than going the long and dangerous way around, would go into these harbors and carry their cargo across across the shore. It was a sailor's city, a cargo city. And we know those cities have a bit of a reputation, don't they? For sexual promiscuity. And therefore the letter, the letter to the Corinthians, includes some comments about sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Second thing that's worth knowing about Corinth is that it was the place that hosted the Isthmian Games, which you may not have heard of, but it's second in fame and athletic competition, second only to the Olympics. It's a big deal. And so in the letter, when it writes about knowing how to run a race and run it well, the Corinthian people knew that because that was an athletic place. Last but not least, the Corinthian church was a church all too familiar with factions, the people were playing the favorite pastor game and saying, I like Peter, I like Paul, I like Apollos. And so the letter begins by naming the unity we have in Christ. You get the idea. In Corinth, the Christians had unique challenges and unique opportunities, and the invitation to them was to live the faith locally. The same is true for the letter to the Colossians, which is fundamentally a pastoral note to the Christians in Colossae. Colossae is a city that's quite opposite of Corinth. It was an inland place and not very famous at all. In fact, we only discovered it, they only discovered it within the last 200 years. For 1,800 years, we've studied this letter and didn't even know where the city was and recently have discovered this place Colossae was famous, not really famous, but they were known for having a wool that they dyed red. That's what they did. And they had earthquakes. Their world literally shook somewhat regularly. And yet the letter, the place, is the one, the most insignificant city to which Paul writes a letter. Colossians, if you know it, is, however, a cosmic letter. It's about all. It is about Christ being all in all. And about us living our whole lives for him. And so to this insignificant people is this cosmic letter. It's fitting. I don't have a slide for Peter's letter because Peter wrote his letter to five different places. But that's also kind of the point. Five different places. And we usually fumble through pronouncing them. You may have noticed I probably got it wrong naming some of those places. That only makes the point all the more, right? Non-locals pretty typically use local terminology wrong, right? We get it wrong because place matters, location matters. And that's true for us here in Holland too. So I asked one of our local experts from our congregation, Dean Whitaker, to give me a couple fun facts this week about Holland. He gave me a couple. One of them was that the Holland area has 27.5% of our workforce in manufacturing. 
the national average is 8%, which means we are three to four times more likely to be making stuff than most other places. We are a manufacturing town. The other thing he said is specifically right around here, this very local place, he said, is embarrassingly not diverse. And that's something for us locals to get curious about, isn't it? If you were asked to describe Holland, perhaps you might say, hey, we are a town that has won multiple awards for being a happy place. Or maybe you'd mention how many churches there are in this particular place. I don't know what you'd say, but you live here. You know Holland. And each one of us sees a little bit of a different nook and cranny of it. So what are our unique opportunities and challenges? We are called to live the faith here not elsewhere, and not only in our heads. So wherever you are, there you be. Be Christian there. You can't do it anywhere other than where you are. We live it locally or not at all. There's a video that has been working on me a bit lately, and I want to share some clips from it with you this morning. So take a look at this first clip from a video called Godspeed. I've been running for most of my life, running through life to get somewhere else. But the thing about running is that you miss things, many things. And if I kept running, I was going to miss everything. This is the story of learning to walk instead of run. It's the story of the places and the people who slowed me down. It's the story of the freedom I found and the freedom that found me. We live in such a rootless world. My wife and I have moved house, I think, 16 times in 42 years. It's a sort of complete mirror opposite of that, polar opposite of that. To think of being in that one place is the Benedictine ideal, stabilitas, stability. You are here, you stay here, and you go deeper. I knocked on one door, expecting a granny to answer the door, who I could look down upon and talk about the weather with. The man who opened it had deep blue eyes, giant red hair, and I froze. <laughs> and that's when I met Alan Torrance. And sensing my discomfort, he invited me in, made me a cup of tea. We got to talking about why I was there, which I still wasn't sure, but he put me at ease. He made me feel at home. The way I was brought up was that you had to show hospitality to folk. You know, give them a cup of tea or a biscuit, a meal if they need a meal, you know. So we take great pride in that. You know, we're no rich folk, but to me, you're poor if you can't offer hospitality. When I left Alan's house, a book fell off the shelf, which I didn't notice, 
But a minute later, Alan's at the door saying, Matt, Matt, look at this. Check this. That book fell from the shelf. And the book was St. John's Gospel. So I asked Alan, do you want to read it? He said, not really. But I said, how about if we get together a few other people who don't want to read it, and we ask questions. And while we were reading John's Gospel, I had a brilliant point on something theological. Alan said, give me a map. So we gave Alan the map at the back of the Bible. And I remember him realizing that the scale of the map was the same scale as where he lived and how the distance from Capernaum to the Sea of Galilee was about the distance from Pitlochry to Dunkeld, he got the scale. Part of Alan's skepticism was assuming Jesus preached in big cities where he could project one image in public but be somebody very different in private. You can't do that in a village. When Alan learned that Jesus lived in a village, earning people's trust the hard way, he believed. It wasn't a sermon that changed his mind. It was a map. Maps are a great reminder to us of the localness of life. And, and that's the first thing that struck me about these New Testament letters. Location matters. But that's not all. People matter too. And the letters are remarkably personal. They are written by someone and to someone and for a certain kind of life together. And so you even heard it in the examples I gave at the beginning where little Grace says, grow a beard to Abraham Lincoln or wake up fellow clergyman, says Martin Luther King Jr. from the jail. The letters are that kind of timely and personal. The authors, you may have noticed, are quite typically named and credentialed. And so it'll say Peter or Paul or James, an apostle or a servant of the Lord. That's who the letters are from. But interestingly, the recipients are not named, not at the beginning. They're only described, and I really hope this blows your mind in the way that it's blowing mind, mine. As we've already noticed, the greetings to these people could have been something to the effect of, hey, to the wayward ones at Corinth, or to the insignificant ones at Colossae, or to the fools in Galatia, to whatever we'd be called here at fellowship. But that's not what they say. In fact, I compiled the list. I think it's exhaustive. This is the way the people are greeted in the letters. They are described as belonging loved saints six times over meaning you are the set apart ones sanctified made holy faithful brothers and sisters church child beloved fellow worker or soldier elect exiles those of equal standing by the righteousness of god i really like that one and then in jude we are called loved and kept in Jesus Christ. You'll notice those are 100% positive. Not a single one of them is negative. And, and again, to be sure, there was some waywardness and some foolishness going on in these places. Colossae is still a rather insignificant city, and yet the greetings are all beautiful and kind and particularly focused on seeing others the way that God sees them. And so the greetings name unshakable truths of the recipients and they call forth what maybe isn't quite yet. 
They are incredibly dignifying greetings. So if the letters aren't screaming to us that people matter, I don't know what they're saying. And if the first lesson that we learn from these letters is that the faith is to be lived locally, the second is that it is to be lived interpersonally. What's true geographically is also true relationally. So wherever you are, there you be. Be Christian there. You can't do it with anyone other than the very people you are with. And again, the video helps to illustrate this better than I could say it. So take a look at segment two. When you first met Matt, what was your impression? He meant well, but he didn't know quite what he was doing. I think we helped. When I was running, it was easy to stay hidden, to avoid being known. One professor knew this, Eugene Peterson. He said, Matt, if you want to become a pastor, go find a parish. Go find a fishbowl where you can't escape being known and where you lose the fear of being known. He knew that if I really wanted to walk like Jesus, I had to slow down. I was like, Eugene, I'm in. I'm sold. Where do I go to learn to become this kind of person, this pastor? He smiled and he said, you might have to go further than you think. You might have to leave America. And I thought, that'll never happen. (laughs) Some years ago, there was a theologian who wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God, because basically we walk, uh, most humans walk roughly three miles an hour. Uh, The thought of traveling at only three miles an hour fills most of us with horror now. If we are walking, if we are going at three miles an hour, we are going at a much more, if you like, humane pace. And we can, there is time to process what we're seeing and what we're experiencing and smelling and knowing. In the beginning, this fishbowl world was a little bit scary. I can't say oppressive, but I was kind of thinking, my goodness, they can see everything I'm doing. Very quickly, you see people's faults, at least I do. Look at that guy, no. But to see people's virtues, no, it takes, it takes longer. To learn to know them takes, takes time. If you live in the same community with other people, you also have the benefit of seeing God's grace at work in them. There's brother so-and-so. Don't go within two miles of him or Krakatoa will look like a penny banger. After 10 years, you can probably get within half a mile of him. After 40 mile years, you can maybe get within six feet of him. Okay, if God can do that with him, maybe he can work with me too. The idea of slowing down to catch up with God is counterintuitive. It makes no sense. People used to wish each other well with the expression, God speed to you, by which they meant, we hope it goes quickly. Maybe God's speed really is three miles per hour. And if we walk with him, we will let him know us and let other people know us too.
So we've talked people and we've talked place. These things matter a lot to the New Testament letters, but there's one more thing that I want to put before you, and I hope you noticed it too, purpose. Purpose. It's hard not to notice this when you read these letters side by side by side. Almost all of them begin by saying grace and peace to you. 19 out of 21 of them, to be exact, say it just that way over and over and over again. Grace and peace to you, always in that order. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you, brothers and sisters, wherever you are and whoever you're with, may grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's the posture or the purpose of the letters, that we, in all of our localness, would receive grace and know peace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is the free gift of everything that we don't deserve. Salvation, sanctification, participation in the dance of God. Peace is a world made well where everything belongs, where God's shalom is our heart's decision maker. Perhaps you've noticed, however, check our headlines even. There's no shortage of people in our world today chasing after peace without receiving grace or sharing it. It often doesn't work that way. Grace paves the way to peace. The order matters, and grace comes first. Grace and peace is like salt and pepper, or like Simon and Garfunkel. You don't say it the other way around. We don't say pepper and salt, or Garfunkel and Simon, right? There's an order, and it matters, and even more so than that, it's not just a way of saying it. It just might be an order of operations. So here's a better example. Grace and peace just might be like sunshine and summertime, where it's the first thing, sunshine, that makes the second thing good and real. So friends, grace and peace to you. The letters are an invitation for us to live it locally. Wherever you are, there you be. So by grace and for peace, be Christian there. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we go from this place to all of our individual places, um, may this song be our prayer that God would build God's kingdom here using us as the church and wherever our here may be. Let's sing together. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls. Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. Seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. Use to waste our lives. For you're our joy and prize. Release the hurt 
Hey friends, wherever you are, there you be, so be Christian there. May the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. We're going to end with a song that celebrates this grace and peace among us. And so I invite you to join in it, and we'll raise our hands without joining hands for now, okay, when it gets to be the time. Watch them. My friends, may you grow in grace. My friends, may you grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. My friends, may you grow in grace. And in the knowledge of again.